What is humanism? What are humanist values? What is unique about living as a humanist in Northwest Ohio? This is the place to find out. My name is Douglas Berger, and this is Glass City Humanist. In this episode, I chat with August Brunsman, one of the founders and first paid executive director of the Secular Student Alliance, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. We talk about those heady days at the beginning of the group, the problems that come along with a college project like SSA, and his continuing work with CampQuest. The year 2020 hasn't been all terrible. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the Secular Student Alliance. With us today is August Brunsman, who helped to found and was the first paid executive director of the SSA until he stepped down in 2018. He is also on, he's also the chair of the board for Camp Quest Ohio and the treasurer of Camp Quest Inc., the national organization. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing, I'm doing all right, Doug. How are you? Doing okay. As I said, this year is the 20th anniversary of Secular Student Alliance, and that's particularly why I wanted to talk to you today. And, and you were part of that group that helped found it. What was the spark that made that happen? How did that come about? Oh, wow. I mean, it's <laughs> so basically, I mean, there were a bunch of leaders on college campuses. I, I guess as I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm thinking like it might make sense to take take a step back and just say that like I was really excited by the idea of going to college and there being a, I didn't really care if it was an atheist group or a humanist group or whatever, but some sort of group that was kind of organized around, you know, I mean, I guess what I'll just shorthand is humanism, but this idea of, you know, thinking for yourself and questioning organized systems of belief that are handed down on the basis of tradition instead of the basis of merit. And, Mm -hmm. When I was a senior in high school, I had a friend who was a year older than me, who I'd known in high school, who was a freshman at Ohio State. And he took me to uh, a meeting of a group that was called Prometheus on Ohio State's campus. And of all things, Frank Zendler, who was a huge presence in atheism, uh, especially in Columbus, Ohio, but also nationally, was the speaker that evening. And I just really had a great time meeting meeting Frank and the other students. I remember that was the first time that I discovered the Freedom From Religion Foundation. They had some literature at the meeting and really enjoyed it. Was really looking forward to joining when I got to Ohio State in the fall. But then I graduated high school, got to OSU in the fall, and found out that the leaders had all graduated and there was no more group. Uh, oh. And it took a took a little bit. It wasn't until I guess it would have been, oh, I guess that would have been my sophomore year. I got together with some other friends and was like, "Hey, I think there should be a group again." So we decided to found one, and and we did. We founded an organization called Students for Free Thought at the Ohio State University, and we found out pretty quickly that there were a handful of other groups around the country at different college campuses that were also getting organized. And the Council for Secular Humanism was having conference of youth leaders. So I went to that and met all these other leaders in person. Uh, it was actually in Cincinnati. And so it wasn't, wasn't super far to get to. And just 
you know, whatever, found all these other people that went through an experience super similar to mine and were excited for there to be a national network. And the Council for Secular Humanism was trying to do their best to support us, but it really, we, we felt kind of isolated from some of the other organizations in the, what I will call the movement, the atheist humanist free thought movement. And uh, yeah, and so we decided to, we decided to form our own independent organization. And I'm, you know, because I mean, like I mentioned before, like Freedom from Religion Foundation and the American Humanist Association, all these other organizations, we wanted to collaborate with them too. Uh, American Atheist, the list goes on. And yeah, and so we did that. And I'm happy to say that you know, as the Council for Secular Humanism has changed, I believe it's now all the Center for Inquiry. You know, there's a really, to the best of my knowledge, or at least there was when I left, and I imagine there still is a really collaborative uh, and positive relationship now between the Secular Student Alliance and the Center for Inquiry. And to the best of my knowledge, you know, all the other groups in the secular movement, as it were. And when and when you started the group, when you started the Secular Student Alliance, did you ever think that it would last as long as it has? Yeah, I think it's really hard to believe that this sort of wild college project, which is what it was when I was getting involved with it, you know, will be around in 20 years. I think, well, even now it's hard for me to think about what's going to happen in 20 years, but I think especially so when I was younger. I mean, I think we all hoped that it would become an institution and would stick around, or I know I hoped that, but, you know, it was, I wasn't thinking about 20 years in the future when we got it started. I was thinking, you know, the next handful of years. For further information on the topics mentioned in this episode, check out our show notes on the website at glasscityhumanist.show. And uh, during that early time, when it was first started, or it might have even been much later, is the is the biggest roadblock to having groups like that the fact that the leadership graduates? Yeah, I think it is. You know, we used to say that organizing at a campus is like organizing at a bus stop, and I, <laughs> you know, right, and and. Right. We also have had high school groups over the years, and we started saying, like, organizing at a high school is like organizing at, like, a grocery store checkout, right? Like, people are just moving <laughs> through so fast and so so distracted. But, yeah, no, that leadership transition is extremely challenging because, uh, you know, for all of the things you can do to promote organizational thinking and you know, having kind of systems instead of just personalities that are running the group, like it's very, very hard, especially when, you know, these are all, well, almost all, I guess there's a tiny handful of uh, groups that manage to get a little money to pay people from their universities. But by and large, yeah, I mean, these are volunteer positions. And so it's just people that come around that have the, the passion to do it and do it. So yeah, so it's tricky to, you know, keep, Keep those groups going when you you don't have uh, a lot of continuity from year to year, especially if like a couple leaders graduate at the same time, which I know used to happen all the time because usually you <laughs> recruit your friends and your friends are often in the same year as you. So right, yeah. 
Now, when when you when you guys were doing it and you were creating these systems for these groups to use, was it pretty much being created out of whole cloth or did you actually have a period people with experience that were helping develop these systems? Gosh. So we had a handful we had an advisory board pretty quickly after we got started and there were a handful of people who were helping there. And I guess I don't know. I think I know I didn't have any real experience with like campus or community organizing. I think a couple of people who also helped got the group going, you know, had some experience in other organizations. But yeah, there was a whole lot of making it up as we went along. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that can be fun. And that can also be very daunting, too. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It was but yeah, no, it was it was absolutely both. You're 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 right. This is Glass City Humanist. Now, one of the things that I liked about SSA when it first got started, and I'm sure it probably still does this, was encouraging students to join local humanist groups and participate in their activities. And I know you were active with our group, Humanist Community of Central Ohio, for many years. Was that a conscious thing that you guys did, or was it just something you stumbled onto? Yeah, I mean, I guess I sure it was conscious. You know, I was thinking to myself that I knew that a lot of campus organizations that were promoting religion had connections to, you know, off campus groups, and we're getting, in many cases, we're getting support from them. And I was hopeful that some sort of relationship like that could be forged. And indeed, like the Humanist Community of Central Ohio did support things that that the student group was doing pretty frequently, which was great. So yeah, that was that was good. It was, it turned out like much harder than I anticipated to get those relationships forged. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's a little bit of the like, oh, I just like, went to your meetings and introduced myself. And, you know, before I knew it, like you were buying us pizza uh, every so often and things like that. It, it really wasn't that challenging. And then when other groups kind of weren't seeing the benefit, I, you know, we tried to explain like different ways to do it and make introductions and things like that. I do think a little bit that for whatever reason, sometimes when students showed up to those groups, you know, the, the leaders would be like, oh, this is so great. Like we never get young, young people to come and we're so right. happy that you're here. Now <laughs> sit down and shut up and listen to the lecture. <laughs> right. Yeah. Unfor- um, unfortunately, yes, I've observed that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that could be a little, that could be a little tricky. And there is a little bit of like a generation gap kind of thing going on. At least that's kind of my, you know, my, my take from just what I informally observed. Yeah. I think those relationships are still really valuable. If uh, a little bit hard to get started, I don't actually know like how I hope they contribute to the longevity of the groups. I I actually don't know that it was ever really clear. Like we had so much trouble getting those kind of connections maintained. And I think also, and I'm just shooting from the hip here, but like, I think, a little bit as is the case with many relationships, like it wasn't ever clear either to our student leaders or the off-campus leaders, like who 
was responsible for maintaining that relationship. I think sometimes you'd have somebody that would really take responsibility and own it. And then other times, you know, you might have people on both sides of the equation being like, oh, they never call. So I I don't know. It seems like I heard a little bit of that going on too. Yeah. And I, and I think that I was probably a little bit spoiled, you know, when I was in HCCO all those years and, and had the relationship with the SSA group there at Ohio State, that when I started my group up here in Toledo, I was just expecting people to beat down my door and want to start a student group at the at UT. Uh-huh. And that does not happen. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, they really have it. It's really set off. I mean, I can't like show up on campus and ask people to start a group. Yeah. You know, well, I have to find a fa- faculty advisor and all that stuff. And yeah, which was true then as it is now, yeah. but no, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's tricky. And, and I'll further say that I think that the way that the economics around going to college have changed probably mm. aren't helping any, right? Because if, right you're having to pay, you know, a whole lot more to go to college, then, you know, you're going to be probably more focused on college than on things that are kind of like peripheral to college, even though I think those things add tremendous amounts of value to the the college experience, the extracurricular activities. But yeah, I mean, just my sister is, uh, about 10 years younger than me. We both went to Ohio state, like, and just in those 10 years, like, Tuition was four times as much mm, when yeah. she went there. It's just mind-blowing how quickly that is ratcheted up. And I think that if you saw a return to levels of college pricing that were, you know, similar to even even the late 90s that you would see a resurgence in in student activism. That said, I mean, I I don't know, but I've heard that, you know, Gen Z is the most activist organization that there's ever been. And I'm definitely encouraged by that. I think, I don't know. I feel like there was sort of a, that SSA kind of passed through this really exciting time in secular movement building, like right around like 04 through, I don't know, ended it like 2012 or something like that, mm-hmm. where it just, there was just so much excitement and momentum just absolutely a great time to be involved. And then after 2012, things kind of like cooled off a little bit. Uh, there's a blogger, I think Scott Alexander is his name, and a Slate Star Codex is the name of his blog. And he had a post about about this. Uh, so I want to give him credit because I think that informed some of my thinking. But like another thing that came up in that post was that there's this sort of arc of the internet of where like suddenly, you know, people that were like atheists and all their friends were atheists discovered online like oh wow there's all these christians and they're like you know they're christians and all their friends are christians and everybody on both side of that both sides of of that kind of interaction was like oh like there are these people out here and they just they just don't know how wrong they are and we could go and we could explain things to them rationally online in some you know forum posts and then they would understand and it just took us like until 2012 or thereabout to like for a lot of people to just get sick of that and realize like, oh, like some people change their mind. Sure. And there are definitely people that are legitimately like trying to find like answers, but like the vast majority of people online are not looking to have their mind changed and their mind isn't going to be changed. The vast majority of people online are just trying to, you know, find people that are like them. 
Yeah, that's why, you know, I don't I've I've never been invited to debate people, but I know that if I were to be invited to debate somebody, it would not be uh, a creationist yeah. or somebody who is militantly a Christian nationalist because it's just not going to be good for me. Right. It's just not going to be good for me and it's not going to help anything. And so I just stick to maybe writing an occasional letter to the editor mm. and and doing some blog posts and that's about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think different kinds of activism makes sense for different people, but yeah, I, I think that 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 drive to like, oh, there's somebody wrong on the internet was maybe <laughs> something that was fueling uh, the movement back in the early 2000s. That now, was kind of now don't out. get me wrong though, I I was in a stage like that when yeah. I first came to humanism. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, you got to hear about this. Yep, and I was just talking and telling everybody because. I just couldn't believe I found something that fit my perspective, my yeah. worldview. Totally. I think that was a really common experience. Yeah. And it, and it's just then I get older and I'm like, yeah, if you want to believe it, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of like, yeah, exactly. I actually completely, well, I resonate with that a lot because I'm mainly because I don't think I'm going to change too many people's minds that way by yeah. arguing with them. But yeah, and that's kind of what's driven my motivation to still be involved with Camp Quest. You know, we're kind of, it's a, an organization that's just much more focused on like, I don't know, helping helping young people kind of learn themselves better and learn how to be in the world as authentically who they are. And, you know, sort of taking the first step of like, okay, like theism probably doesn't make sense but now what like what are the next steps how are you gonna have a good life and an authentic life given that you can't rely on traditional answers to those questions so that's definitely very motivational for me this is doug berger for the secular humanists of western lake erie we provide a supportive diverse local community for humanists and other non-theists while promoting ethical and reasonable secular worldviews through education community service outreach activism and social events if you live in the greater toledo area or northwest ohio in general check out our website at humanistwle.org did you get did you get started with camp quest back in the edwin kagan days oh yeah for sure yes back when it was still the cincinnati group was still doing it Yep. yeah so yep free inquiry group of cincinnati and northern kentucky it was definitely the organization that founded Camp Quest back in 1996. I didn't get involved until 99, but Edwin Kagan and Helen Kagan were super involved when I got involved and continued to be until they each passed away years later. And that, yeah, yeah. And it's exciting to see camp thriving. And, it, you know, it's not just in Ohio anymore. There are camps all over the country. And, you know, this summer was rough because we couldn't run well, I guess some people did. We chose not to run in person, which I think was absolutely the right call because yeah. of the pandemic. But we did many camps. Ohio definitely took a week and we did a Zoom camp for for many hours a day for one week in July this summer. And I was worried about it, but it actually ended up being tons of fun. And like I think we had like 60 people participate, which is fewer than mm. we get in person, but it was way more than I was anticipating. So yeah, we're we're out there. We're adapting, trying to figure out how to do our thing in these very novel times. And what you kind of touched on a little bit, but 
What is the mission of Camp Quest? What What is its purpose? Sure. I'm not going to get it word for word, but basically okay. we provide fun friends and free thought through a educational adventure uh, for, or I think maybe it's like an outdoor educational adventure for young people. So yeah, so we run right now and for the past Oh gosh, you know, 24 years, 25 years, I guess 25 years. Yeah. Like, you know, we've run residential summer camps for a week and we're actually, because the summer camp industry itself is changing and there's been a big amount of movement towards day camps for just because they kind of fit people's lifestyles and budgets. We've actually, we're, we have started looking into expanding that. Our affiliate in they're based in Minnesota, but they also operate, I think, in Iowa. They started a day camp. It's very small, but we're looking to maybe spin up some more day camps around the country over the next couple of years and make that kind of like another way. We, we want to keep doing the residential summer camps for sure. There's a whole bunch of passion around that, but but we want to see if we can't, you know, tap into into other markets as well, because there's definitely a growing demand for day camps. And we're also looking into after-school programs as well. And you said that you have had many different hats at Camp Quest Ohio. Mm-hmm. What about working with the kids uh, do you enjoy the most? Wow. I think like allowing them, inviting them, actually, I'll say, to be themselves. Maybe, I don't know if that sounds important from the outside or to people that haven't been there, but it's just really amazing. There are so many, so many kids who the people around them want to, you know, tell them how they need to be. And to some extent, like, I guess that's a normal part of the human experience, but it can be very unpleasant and... Even when it's not, I think just having them be awakened to the fact that it's okay for them to think for themselves, to decide for themselves what they think is important, to think about their values and you know how they want to present themselves in the world, what they want to advance, what they want to make a priority as far as you know who they form friendships and relationships with and things like that. Just watching the campers have that freedom is really exciting and it's also lots of it's just great to come up with fun things for them to do you know one year i was art director and i'd heard about this idea of basically getting a bunch of old stuffed animals and then tearing them apart and like combining them like frankenstein style and like as as like chimera animals and it was just like I, I, I was excited to do it. I thought it would be fun. I thought, you know, there'll be some campers that want to do this. It'll be a great afternoon. But like, it was just so, so popular. Just, you know, we did it day after day. Like, you know, we'd have like breaks and downtime and the campers would come up to me and be like, August, can I, can I work on my animal? And, you know, we'd get them out and get the needles and all that, which takes a little bit of supervision, but it's all worth it. Yeah. yeah just those moments of like working on things together and the joy that comes from them. Pretty spectacular. And, and I have heard stories that in the past that there has been some emotional moments when kids first show up, like if it's their first year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that yeah. they're actually around people that <laughs> think like they do. And 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely seen some situations where campers, you know, are, are breaking down in tears about like, you know, this is the first time that people haven't teased me about, you know, whatever it is. It used to be, it was primarily, you know, I, you know, there's everybody's religious at my school or like so many people are religious, whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like back in the nineties when I got involved, that was a really common narrative. And we still hear that maybe a little bit, but nowadays I would say the teasing is much more around like gender expression and gender identity. I think yeah. that being non-religious has kind of, well, that's another thing that might be cooling off the movement. I think it's, it, in the like nineties and before, like if you told people that you weren't religious, if you told people you were an atheist, like, you know, this was often like a pearl clutching kind of a moment where people would really kind of go apoplectic on you. Nowadays, I, I feel like most people are like, Oh yeah, I know five other people that don't believe in God. Like it's just way less controversial than it used to be. So I think, yeah, but, but no, we definitely still have, yeah, even now campers that, have negative experiences because of religious bullying. All right. And before we uh, close here, what I like to do is give the guests the last words to promote something they feel excited about and want our listeners to know about. So what do you wish to promote? Sure. I would, I've, we've already been talking about Camp Quest, but that's absolutely the thing that is nearest and dearest to my heart right now in terms of organizations. Yeah, campquest.org will lead you to all the other local camps. They're all over the country. If you are interested in sending some young person you know there, you know, you can find all the, the links there if you're interested in volunteering, which, wow, do I, if you've got a week free, and I know a lot of people can't work their work schedules to do that, but you know, it's, it's a spectacular way to spend a week in the summer. It It's just, it's definitely my favorite week or weeks. Sometimes I'm able to volunteer for multiple weeks in the summer. Yeah, that has just been life-changing for me and I'm super thrilled to see more people get involved. I can't recommend it enough. Well, thank you very much for your time today and speaking to us, and you have a good day. All right. It was a pleasure, Doug. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Glass City Humanist. For further information, notes, and links used in the show, check out the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. The show is written and produced by Douglas Berger, and he is entirely responsible for the content. Comments and complaints can be left on the website or sent by email to listenercomments at glasscityhumanist.show. We are sponsored in part by the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, and they can be reached at humanistwle.org. The theme music used on Glass City Humanist is Your Call by Kevin McLeod from filmmusic.io and is licensed through creativecommons.org as Attribution 4.0 International. See you next time.